Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Three days of drills and a couple of scrimmages into training camp. Transfer, uh, we've got hockey. We've got lots of hockey. And we've got a lot to chew on uh, from what we've seen here in the first couple of days of the Canucks camp. Oh, man, it's been a lot of fun. Like, it's been fun to be back at the rink. And it's been fun to watch some of this play out. You know, they've given us a lot of storylines. And so even though I feel like we're at a point, and I made this point going into camp too, like we're, we're at a point, we were already at a point where the roster felt relatively settled going into camp. I now feel like we know basically who the 23 man roster is. Like I would be very surprised if the apple cart is upset on that score uh, you know, n- now that we're halfway through camp, which also is crazy to think about. But man, that Hoglander storyline, Hoglander storyline, like what a unbelievable opportunity this kid has taken. And he's taken it in such style. Like it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's his been, been his camp to this point. And I just got to tell this story because I think it sort of illustrates uh, the first few days that Nils Hoglander has had at his first National Hockey League camp. So at the end of the scrimmage last night, and he was terrific. Uh, goal and assist, winning puck battles all over the ice. You know, Before we, the assembled media, left, there were five or six of us just standing around. You were part of it as well. Mm-hmm. And we were just you know, doing what hockey nerd reporters do. I mean, we're assessing what we had all seen in front of us. And yep. you, know, you posed the question, uh, Hoaglander was the best player on the ice, right? And there was consensus, like, yeah. And then you sort of followed up with the second question of, like, did he do anything wrong? Were there issues in his game? And the only thing that was presented as a knock against Nils Hoaglander, and I'm not naming names because <laughs> names don't matter. It is just this is the object of the exercise here. The the only knock on Nils Hoaglander three days into camp was, well, he didn't change very well. His line changes apparently were an issue. <laughs> I love and, it. I loved <laughs> it. There was, one, there was one line change where yes. he peeled off and... It gave a, an odd number rush going against his team. It, it did happen. But this idea that, like, we've watched him so closely. Like, this guy's been under the microscope getting this opportunity with Horvat and Pearson. And he himself admitted in his first media Zoom session that, yeah, even he was a little surprised that when he saw his name on the whiteboard, there he was with the captain and with Tanner Pearson and knowing that that was a top six spot that, you know, so much talk over the last bunch of months. So, you know, he, he has looked terrific. 
And that was it. Like, okay, what's the knock on Nils Hoaglander? Oh, it didn't change very well. And so as I'm driving home from the rink last night, like this stuck with me and I'm laughing to myself in my car because I'm thinking, and it's an off day for the Canucks as we record this on Thursday. So we haven't heard from Travis Green. He didn't do any post scrimmage media. You know, we're going to have to wait for his assessment. But I was just thinking if that is in fact the only criticism of Nils Hoaglander so far, three days into camp, then this person that suggested that should, with a straight face, have to ask Travis Green, not about Hoaglander's performance, <laughs> not about Hoaglander's chances of making the opening night lineup, the question put to the coach should be, yeah, but what about his line changes? What have you seen in the way that he gets on and off the ice? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, can I name names? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. just kidding. Chris Faber. Now, Chris Faber crushing it at camp. I love that. I love that observation. And honestly, I immediately stole it and just sent it, sent that text, uh, sent it as a text to a Canucks contact, right? It was just like, oh man, Nils Hog- Hoaglander, Nils Hoaglander, really? Hoaglander. Oh my goodness. I'm going to struggle with this all year. This is Rick Dollywall shit. You'll get it. Up in here. You're going to, you're going to say it. You're going to say it so Hoaglander. many times. You'll get it. You'll get yeah, it. It's true. It's true. Nils Hoaglander. I, I quickly texted uh, Canucks contact and was just like, Niels Hoaglander really needs to work on his line changes, huh? <laughs> Immediately, because it was, just, I just thought it was such a delightful observation. Like, what a great, what a great note after, you know, like, Hoaglander, that game-winning goal, the sequence with Quinn Hughes leading to a give-and-go in traffic with Antoine Roussel, like, just taking a can opener to the group a defense uh awesome just awesome and you can see like the most meaningful thing to me from hoaglander's big night out was the he had one shift in the second where edler and schmidt start cross-checking him like start playing him like it's an nhl game and once you once you hit that like once players start approaching a young guy veteran players start approaching a young guy like we got to make sure this guy's ready that to me is a huge tell that the guys who've been through this the most, the guys who know how these things play out, think that he's going to be in the lineup and are doing their part to get him ready. Like to me, that was just a crucial moment. And and probably the thing I read the most into uh, of anything I saw from Hoaglander on Wednesday night at Rogers Arena. Yeah, look, the goal is great. The the assist to Horvat for the first of his two goals, that's terrific. Uh, he's looked really good in the first couple of days. And and I said on the radio yesterday, like, you know, all we had to go on really was these practice drills. And sometimes I think you can get a little worked up in what a guy does or doesn't do in, in drills, right? Like, yeah. he's been granted this opportunity to play in a top six role where the Canucks will need some production. And so I had said throughout the day leading into the scrimmage, like everything so far has been great, but there has to be a bottom line for Hoaglander, you know, once they get into these game situations and he delivered, he had a goal and an assist, but you know, for and me, he could have had my more, favorite takeaway right? was he could add more, but my, my, the moment for me, like you talk about the battles with Edler and, and veterans, mm. him stripping Elias Pettersson of the puck oh, in just great. a straight up one-on-one one-on-one battle along the boards, the things that Elias Pettersson generally wins 99% of the time. And I just love, like, Hoaglander does not look overwhelmed in any way. The confidence is there. He looks like a guy that is in mid-season form after playing the first half of the season in Sweden. And I think that that's been a huge part of his success and good for him for sort of taking advantage and catapulting himself into this camp. 
you know, with a body of work in the first half of the year over in in SHL. But I just love the fact that, and he has to know that it's Patterson that he's going up against, and he didn't give a fuck. He just went in there and said, that's my puck. I don't care who you are or what you've done in this league. Like, that's my puck, and I'm coming up with it. And he did. And uh, it's those little things that, you know, we always talk about little things, but you know, <laughs> the offense is great. But, look, the offense is great. Like, and, and he hasn't been lighting it up over in Sweden, but we know that this guy has that top-end skill that, has made so many highlight reels and the lacrosse goals and the between the legs and all of that kind of stuff. I don't need to see that in this camp. I just need to see a guy that's showing up and recognizing this is a great opportunity. And I would say through three days, like it's just been, you know, check off every box imaginable for Niels Hoaglander, save for the line changes. Yeah, save for the line changes. I think I think we're at the point where I would be shocked if Hoaglander doesn't get into games for the Canucks. Like it would be more surprising to me that if Hoaglander was cut at this point than if he opened the season on the, you know, forget the top six. Like, he's going to he's gonna play. Like, he's going to play at this point. I, I feel pretty confident uh, in asserting that. I think he's going to open camp or a, a break camp with the Canucks. I think he's going to get into some games, at least early on, and we'll sort of see. But the fact that he's sharp, the fact that he played in the fall, I, I do think is crucial context you know, no one else has played in the last three months. Lots of guys haven't played in 10, right? Like when you consider another young hopeful who I don't think has had the same impact. Well, I don't, has definitely not had the same impact, but has shown flashes. Uh, You know, uh, Jack Rathbone, right? Jack Rathbone has had some moments where you think, man, this guy skates effortlessly. He looks like an NHL defenseman. Uh, His skills in the offensive end are incredible. Uh, what an exciting prospect, but there's been like nerves or, or something. There's just something, you know, where he hasn't looked nearly as ready as Hoaglander. And how much of that is the fact that Hoaglander was playing, you know, professional games three weeks ago and Jack Rathbone hasn't played an organized high level game of hockey since March, right? Like that's a huge sort of contextual thing to keep in mind long-term. But as the Canucks are assessing who gives them the best chance of winning on Wednesday, Less than a week from now, when their season opens, like, you know, that matters a ton, you'd think, for a guy like Hoaglander and gives him a real inside track at this point, at the halfway point of Canucks training camp, to not just be on the team, but to be on the team in a prominent role. Yeah, no doubt. Look, let me throw a couple of observations from the scrimmage at you, and I'd be really curious, and I'm sure the listeners would as well, uh, to get a few of your own, not just from the scrimmage, but really from these first three days of camp. Yep. Uh, I would say, um, you know, look, Hoaglander has been the story and was again coming out of the scrimmage last night. Good for Will Lockwood. He scored a couple of goals on a yep. line with Beagle and Erickson. Played Outside really of the well. goals, I'm not sure that I noticed a ton. I, 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 I'm not sure that my praise is as effusive, but look, I mean, he left an imprint on that game and, and good for him. Uh, Olya Levy has just quietly had a, a really solid camp and it just, it, it looks like his time is now. Like he's been paired with Tyler Myers from the outset. And I absolutely see that as, uh, the third pairing to start the season next week in Edmonton. Agreed. So, you know, I, I, there's not a ton of flash there. Like when you talk about Rathbone, there is some flash. That's not you Levy's game. I just think he's been steady. He's healthy. And you know, where I thought he sort of, I started to be able to formulate this idea of him as an NHLer at the summer camp. I've seen more of that, and he just goes about his business and certainly doesn't look out of place. So I think it's been a, a good first couple of days for Ole Levy. Uh, 
the bottom six, there are still so many questions about this group. Uh, the questions that we had in the playoff bubble, uh, and I didn't think there was any separation really from any, and I'm talking about the veteran guys, you know, Gaudet and Sutter and Vertanen and Mott, uh, even Zach McEwen, you know, he scores an empty netter to seal the, the deal in the scrimmage, but I didn't think it was a, a terrific night for him. And then you've got, you know, Beagle and Erickson that have been on the outside really for the most part uh, through the first couple of days here, and, and I think that you probably can read into something there. So uh, I wanted to see a little bit of separation and somebody from that bottom six pack step up I'm not sure that I saw it, and I'm really curious. Again, it's an off day as we record this. I'm really curious to see what Friday brings because Travis Green will have had a day with the staff to digest the scrimmage the first couple of days. You know, what changes will we see to formations, if any? And I think that'll be a pretty big tell of, you know, what the coach is thinking and and now what he wants to look at and address as they move into the next phase, the final phase of this quick camp. Yeah, no, I, look, I agree with all of your observations. I think Yolevi, Yolevi's standard was lower than Hoaglander's, right? Like, Yolevi had to look the part, and his feet had to be at a level that you can see playing in the NHL without him getting burned. They have been, right? And that's all he's had to do. That's all he's had to do. He's done it. I think he's, for sure, going to be in the opening night lineup. And the only sort of suspense for me about whether he starts on a third pair with Tyler Myers is whether or not the Canucks sign Hamannick before the season begins or after the first game, right? Like that to me is the only bit of suspense that I'm waiting on. Um, and we'll, we'll get into sort of the mechanics of that. I'm sure as, as this podcast rolls along, um, Lockwood to me and Mark Michaelis have both been really strong. Uh, yeah. Like those are good depth players. Like they're not, prospects the way a Hoaglander or a Pod Colson or even a Cole Lind is in that you could see them playing maybe in a top six certainly in a top nine right um they are depth prospects but they've shown well they're both fast and for Lockwood his skill level's been there enough that I'm actually really curious now to see what he can do in the American League uh this upcoming season I don't even think he's a taxi squad hopeful but I think he's seized an opportunity not this year, but to make a big impression that could matter in terms of what the club, how the club views him in years to come. And that that's a big step for a, for a prospect who's going to take some time to get to the NHL and, and who, when he arrives, you know, is really looking at more like a Tyler Mott type uh, ceiling than, than something higher than yeah. that. Um, although you never say never, like that's sort of what a 22, like he's going to be 23 next season. You know what I'm saying? Like at that point, you know, he's going to have to, at that point, you're in tough to really take significant leaps, especially in a world. And, and this is sort of what I was talking about with Lind, too. Like, Lind had that nice forechecking sequence, sets up Horvat. He's been an extra at camp. He hasn't had a set line. And when you think about it, like, you know, Lind was basically a Hoaglander quality prospect in terms of how he was regarded by this market and internally two years ago. He's improved a ton in that two years. Like, he's become stronger on his skates. Uh, he's gotten better in every facet of the game. And yet, he's lost ground in a world where, you know, the Canucks have traded for Tanner Pearson. They traded for Josh Levo and Tyler Toffoli and had them walk. They traded for JT Miller. Uh, they've kept Jake Vertanen. Uh, Hoaglander now is making a really strong case to play top six minutes for this team this year. Pod Colson, they they know that they're going to try and bring him over this year. 
like he's lost ground just because the NHL is cruel. It's a hard league to make, and you can improve year over year. You can improve a lot and still lose ground, and I kind of think that's where Lind is. Like, on the outside looking in again, uh, despite the fact that he's improved and developed, right? Uh, That's sort of where we're at. And I I also think your your bottom six point is so well made. Like, for me, Zach McEwen is the guy who came in, you know, first of all, he was the standout at phase three camp, right? Um, this is This is his big chance to break camp with an NHL team, to establish himself as an NHL player, um, you know, a bona fide NHL player, not a guy who racks up frequent flyer miles, you know, to and from uh, the American League, not a, not a taxi squad guy, like in the opening night lineup, keeping his spot, um, you know, above average fourth line guy, right? Like that's, that's, this is McEwen's shot. I just don't think he's left no doubt, you know, like, I don't think he's come in and blown the doors off to seize that opportunity to this point, but I still think he's got the inside track just because I don't think Louie's been that great, right? I don't think Jace Howerluck has come in and made uh, a really loud case. Not that, not that either of them have played poorly, I just don't think they've seized it either. Like, no one is seizing, no one is doing a Hoaglander-type seize this by the scruffy of the, of the neck in the bottom six, with the exception, in my opinion, of Antoine Roussel, who, and I always have time for these types of players. Like, I think Roussel saw his minutes in the playoffs. Um, I think this guy's been around a long time. I think he knows what it takes to be in this league. I think he saw that he was the low minutes man in the playoffs. And, you know, he talked about it. He talked about it on Wednesday. Like, I'm willing to accept a lesser role. I'm willing to do the right things. Da, 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 da. Like, this is not a guy who's fast, but he crushed the bag skate, right? Like, he crushed his group's bag skate. He's clearly in tremendous shape. Um, you know, his give a fuck meter has been through the roof at camp. Like, this is a guy who wants to leave, no doubt. Like, I, it doesn't matter if I'm on the third line, doesn't matter if I'm on the fourth line. Like, I am going to be in this lineup, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure of it. I think that's the only guy in the Canucks' bottom six group to this point who's sort of brought that, brought that hard hat approach to camp to the at this juncture. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I thought it was pretty telling, too, to hear Roussel say, like, in hindsight, he probably came back from you know, a devastating knee injury and surgery, reconstructive knee surgery uh, too soon. And he said at times it caught up with him. And, you know, I think for a lot of guys, you know, they say it takes a year to come back fully from that injury. And his year from surgery time was broken up with COVID. And like, you know, he didn't get the chance to really kind of get into a huge rhythm. And then the playoffs, as you said, uh, when Travis Green shortened his bench in tight games, it was Roussel, it was Godad, it was that line that, that sort of bared the brunt. So he sounds excited. He always sounds excited. Uh, his eyes lit up when somebody asked him about the idea of playing the same Canadian opponent two and three times in a row. And, you know, I just, I, I got a kick out of that answer because uh, he talked about how, yeah, there's going to be things that linger and, you know, you're going to take notes. And, and so that sort of plays right into his hands. I think he can be effective uh, for the Canucks, just given the, the role that he plays and the fact that there isn't a ton of edge uh, on this hockey club. And I do think that there's going to be some feeling with these rivalry games and the carryover. So uh, I'm with you. I think he's looked good and that's a promising sign. But, you know, that red flag that has hung over that bottom six uh, for a number of reasons, I think is still really there. Like I, I wanted to see somebody step up and separate. And there's a little bit of time left in this camp. But, uh, you know, if you're Travis Green and you're trying to formulate two bottom six lines and you're trying to squeeze more because that was an issue, how many nights in the playoffs did we ask that question about, you know, is there more from that bottom six? 
and it's that same cast of characters. They're not getting pushed by some of the young guys that you mentioned. The one guy that you did talk about, and I just want to take a second, is Mark Michaelis, because I, I do think, you know, I've focused so closely on this camp on Hoaglander and Levy and Rathbone. You know, those are the guys I've sort of been locked on to, and yet I don't know how many times, Tom, I've caught myself like, oh, who was that? Oh, 56. Like, that's Michaelis. Like, you know, he right. just, he does things that I keep noticing. And he scored in the scrimmage the other day. There was some question whether he or Berchi scored, but he was in position last night. You know, I think it was Berchi's goal ultimately, but he was in the position that he could have deflected it to. Not the biggest guy, uh, but doesn't shy away. Seems to have, you know, he skates well, he gets around the ice well. Like, he, he looks like a really solid prospect. And, you know, it's interesting. I, like, I look at, you know, his numbers in college are remarkable because he had four years at Minnesota State and his point totals, 36, 40, 42, and 44. So incremental improvement each year, but just a ridiculous level of consistency, right? Like he hits the ground as a point-of-game guy in college and doesn't look back from there. And if you're a point-of-game guy at any level of organized hockey, like you are productive. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm three days in having never seen this guy play, but it just, my initial impression is that there's something there. I agree with you. And uh, and I've been impressed. I've been impressed by the wheels. I've been impressed by the details. I think if this guy can win faceoffs at the NHL level, he's got a real shot to have a long career. Uh, and that's a nice find. Like, that's a nice find for Vancouver's amateur sca- uh, staff uh, working the college ranks, right? Like, college free agent. This is a found money prospect. Um, you know, like, same shot at turning out as, as a late round draft pick, but more NHL ready. Uh, that's good. Like, that's good work. Uh, when you are able to add, you know, guys like, and when you consider the whole gamut of it, right? Like, the Canucks didn't have any picks, really, this past year, right? Like, it's very likely that the 2020 draft class goes down as, you know, very much like the 2010 draft class that Mike Gillis and, and co. in recent years in this market. Yet, you know, if you were able to add a Michaelis, right? Like, if you're able to find those guys that can help offset some of those leaner years where you, you know, make some pretty high leverage trades. Um, so yeah, no, uh, look, he's been good. And, and I think that's a, a nice sign. Like it's a nice sign for the organization, even if they're not making the Hoaglander like push this year, even if neither is likely to play significant games for the team this season uh, to have sort of depth prospects like Lockwood and Michaelis show this way uh, to have those types of wheels um, that's going to matter, especially once you get into a moment where, you know, between Hughes, Pedersen and Demko, you're adding 25 million in cap hit um, next season. And you're going to need guys like Lockwoods and Michaelis to fill out some of the bottom six roles that to this point in the, you know, Travis Green era anyway, if not the entire Jim Benning era, the Canucks have paid, you know, retail price for Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this three for two battle up the middle. Travis Green the other day and I asked him and he said, like, I see Brandon Sutter as a center, right? Like we saw Brandon Sutter move to the wing almost exclusively last year. I mean, there were times that he slid back. He's got versatility, but he starts day one on a line between Jake Furtan and then Tyler Mott, a line that you absolutely could see uh, in the lineup to start the season. Mm-hmm. And then that fourth line was Gaudet with Roussel and McHugh in a line that we saw uh, as recently as the couple of games before the initial COVID break. So they've played together some chemistry there. But that leaves Jay Beagle and Louis Erickson, at least on day one, you know, they were extras and read into that what you will. But it does sort of feel like, uh, you know, Jay Beagle, veteran and penalty killing duties and those types of things. We know that there isn't much offense there, but there isn't a whole bunch of offense from Brandon Sutter either. And Gaudet's got the offense. He just doesn't have the defensive chops. And then, you know, he was an open book talking about the stomach ailment that has prevented him from keeping on weight. And, Incredible. And We've wondered about Incredible that. Incredible answer, by the way. It really was, and and a wild story too. Like yeah. you know, we we think we know these guys, and we certainly all see them as hockey players, and you know, we uh, obsess over what they do out on the ice. But you you know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And here's a young guy that for a while he's going to go back to his high school days. He's had this issue where couldn't keep food down, couldn't keep weight on. People have wondered why he hasn't been able to bulk up every offseason. He talks about the need to get stronger. And then you find out, like, there's a medical reason, a condition here. He's been throwing up all the time. He'd wake up and said he just couldn't keep meals down and those types of things. But with his doctor and a nutritionist, they think that they're getting ahead of it here. He's changed his diet completely and arrives at this camp, but still pretty slight by NHL standards if he wants to dig in and, you know, be a a force in the faceoff circle you, know, you, you win some draws. You win more than your fair share of draws just on brute strength, right? If it's a 50-50, the bigger guy is probably going to win more often than not. And that's an area that Gaudet has to get better. But what do you make of the fact that they have, at least to start camp, slid Sutter back into the middle? Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. I think they I think they like Sutter. Like, I, I think they genuinely like Sutter. Um, I think they think he's an important part of the team when he's healthy. And... You know, the, the the issue with both Sutter and Beagle is that, you know, they miss time. Like, they're at an age, and they both have had issues with, you know, core injuries. Um, those get more difficult to avoid if you've had a history of them as you age, right? Especially when you play tough minutes and spend a lot of time ducking down low to win draws. Now, I don't know that the Sutter line or the Gaudette line has played well enough that I'm really worried yet about Beagle being in the opening night lineup. I know I floated it after the very first day of camp, reading the lines, reading between the lines of the lines. (laughs) (laughs) I sort of was like, ah, I don't know. Like is Beagle in trouble? Right. I'm not ready to say yes. Um, I I mean, I, it's, it's something I'm still watching, but I'm not ready to say yes in part because of what we've talked about. Like Beagle's looked fit and sharp and, like Jay Beagle, right? And I don't know that any any of those bottom six lines have made the type of case that sort of shuts the door on him, right? Like the door is definitely still open for Jay Beagle to make a push here. 
Um, and we'll know a lot more when we see them line up. Like when we see, I actually think one of the most important moments of camp is going to be at tomorrow's practice, assuming it's not a scrimmage tomorrow and that they'll scrimmage on Saturday, but maybe they scrimmage tomorrow. When they, when we see rushes next, that's going to tell us an awful lot about where we stand, especially right. now that we're at the halfway point. Like we're, we're getting late in the game early here. And so I think the line rushes on Friday are going to be telling, I will not be stunned. I don't think if Jay Beagle is back in a line that looks like, you know, something like the Canucks might actually use in terms of their bottom six. Um, I'm really fascinated to see what they do. Uh, and if, and if, you know, the coaching staff sort of fires a shot at any of the bottom six guys that we've discussed who just haven't kind of done you know, that ha- that haven't sort of made their case as strongly as, as I'm sure the coaching staff would have liked. Um, but yeah, I mean, Godet-Roussel, I think, is going to be a pair. Like, that's the one thing I feel pretty confident about. Um, I feel pretty confident that Mott and Vertanen are going to be in the lineup. Like, those, the, the four of those six, I, I think I know that. And then I think there's going to be two of Sutter, Beagle, and McEwen in the lineup. Um, and I do think that the Canucks will be reluctant at this point in their careers to play Sutter and Beagle together. Um, just because I do think that, you know, causes some knockoff effects five on five that are unsustainable for the Canucks to win, especially if they're going to try and play Elias Pettersson straight up, which Hoaglander getting that shot on line two strongly hints at, right? Like, if Hoaglander's on Horvat's line, I don't think that line's getting fed to the Wolves the way it does when you've got Louie on it, right? Like that, it doesn't make sense to do it that way. You gotta use that line as a second line. So, you know, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. But but basically, that's sort of the shape of the last battle that I expect up front is which two of McEwen, Sutter, Beagle, um, or which, yeah, which two of those three end up in the opening night lineup and fill out the Canucks bottom six. Right, and that's why it would have been nice uh, beyond the Hoaglander story to come out of the scrimmage sort of raving about one of those bottom six guys who you know really looked like he wanted it. And I think Roussel was the best of the bunch, but you know that's the issue is you get excited about the lotto line, you get excited about Hoaglander, and then we're right back to, yeah, but what about the bottom six and what it's going to be able to offer this team and can it hold its own and can they you know, squeeze out any more offense. And, you know, my problem with Brandon Sutter at this stage of his career, and really throughout his career, as a center, he's just never been a playmaker and a puck distributor. And if you're Jake Furtanen and you're coming off an 18-goal season, you know, I just think uh, shotguns may be in short supply at even strength just because Brandon Sutter's never really been a guy that has made uh, his wingers all that dangerous. And, you know, I, I still, I think that those questions and concerns certainly still apply. But there's time here in this camp for guys to step things up, and I'm with you. Let's see what Friday brings. Saturday is scheduled to be another full game day with the morning skates and then uh, another scrimmage in the evening. Uh, And the one thing that, you know, we haven't seen yet, I know Travis Green said they did a little bit of power play duty, uh, power play practice at the morning skate, which were closed to the media. You know, that might be a tell too, is who's incorporated into the penalty kill Right? Like, if we see Tanner Pearson or JT Miller uh, doing a little bit of penalty killing, then it probably tells you that one or two of Sutter and Louie and Beagle uh, are going to be in tough to be in the lineup on the regular, right? Like, if they start to incorporate others as penalty killers, 
that might be a tell that uh, lets us, you know, gives us a clue sort of to what Travis Green's thinking. So we'll see how it goes. I'm with you. Friday, I think, will be interesting. And then we'll get back into more game action for the Canucks on Saturday with another full scrimmage. You mentioned Travis Hamannick a little bit earlier. And as we connect these dots here, uh, he's still quarantining. He's here in town. He's working out on his own. But, you know, he was invited on the PTO on late Saturday or Sunday, and he's got to put in a seven-day quarantine. Yeah. So we're not going to see him... PTO in square scare yes, quotes, sure. right? But we're not <laughs> like, going to see him on... The tryout where you can't really try out. I don't out. think we're going to see him on the ice with his team. Certainly Saturday would be the earliest, or Sunday. They're leaving for Edmonton on Tuesday. Like, there isn't a whole lot of time here. I don't know if he's going to be... I, I don't know. know if he'll be ready for opening night. Remember, they open with back-to-backs, too. Like, talk about a big ask for a guy that hasn't played a game in 11 months. But uh, to get... Hamnick on the roster like there's gonna have to be some gymnastics but those gymnastics have already started because Michael Furland was on the training camp roster we know that he's not in camp Jim Benning said that he's not going to be here we know all of that but he was initially listed on this team's roster of 37 skaters they could only bring 36 but Furland has disappeared from the roster now like he has been deactivated but he's not <laughs> on long-term injury yet like that they have to still trigger that. So where is Michael Furland in the grand scheme of National Hockey League designation right now? Yeah, so the... Well, Furland has disappeared from the media site that you and I track, like Eagle Eyes, and uh, that I know you hate when I bring up. Because, <laughs> because it is our competitive <laughs> advantage, right? Like, it is something that, you know, we do that no one else does, really, right? So the Canucks are... Going to at some point, um, you know, they are the Canucks at some point are going to have to put him on LTI. And there, there's two ways to do that. You can do it before opening day, in which case it's off season LTI, or you can do it in um, after opening day or on opening day, in which case it's in season LTI. And there is an administrative complexity to off-season LTI that is greater than doing it in-season. In-season, you just kind of retrace your steps back and forth. Um, that's what the Canucks did with Antoine Roussel last year, right? Roussel didn't hit LTI until the very first day of camp, and the Canucks didn't spend into that LTI space uh, for months. Like, it took a long time before they were actually spending... They were actually in LTI, even though they had a player on LTI. So... Again, this is all pretty technical, but the Furland falling off the roster thing, and I, and, I, and I have been able to confirm this, he's what's called injured non-roster, okay? So injured non-roster is a device that's different from normal IR, which is when you fall off the roster but stay on the cap and can't return for a week, and different from LTI, where you fall off the cap or at least allow a team to spend over the cap by the same amount as your AAV um, and can't play for 10 games or 14 days, whatever comes first. Uh, it is just a device that we see usually used in the offseason, usually right after training camp opens and to be placed on it. And this is the this is the one thing that Furland falling off LTI and being on injured non roster tells us. It tells us that he has failed a physical. Like, he has failed a physical, and he's now injured non-roster. He's off the Canucks roster, but he's still getting paid, uh, as normal, and they still have to figure out the cap gymnastics of placing him on, you know, 
LTI and then making sure, and this is the other complicated thing, and this is going to be a bigger story and something I'll be tracking a little bit more closely next week as we get closer to opening day, like the amount that you can capture when you place a player on LTI depends in part on how close you are to the cap. Like what's scary for uh, the Canucks, (laughs) for management, as you try and navigate exactly what that looks like, is you want to have a full roster. You want to have 23 guys and you want to have your six taxi squad guys sort of set. And you want to be as close to the cap as you can so that you maximize what you capture when you place Furland on LTI, right? And so, you know, the Canucks are going to make some interesting choices. There's going to be some interesting things that they have to sort of work through because you don't want to get caught in the middle. Like, you don't want to be at 80.5 with an 81.5 cap when you put Furland on LTI because that limits what you capture, in terms of free space from him going on LTI. You want to be at 81.4 million, right? Like you want to be right pressed yeah. up against it. Yeah. And and here's another thing that's going to be fascinating to see. The way the transition rules, and I'm beginning to study up, J-Pat. Like I'm, I'm getting close, right? Oh, good. All I'm right. getting close. I'm, I'm rounding in the form. I'm not, Man. I'm not, I'm not Niels <laughs> Wallace think? Are you, are you ignoring Wallace? No, not at all. We, uh, he, he was a nightmare last okay. night, man. He barked all night, but then I, uh, then we, then we had like a nice 45 minute snuggle sesh on the couch. Um, as I like oh, tried yeah. to make sure right. that he got some extra sleep and now we're, now we're all good again. Um, not so, now Wallace, I'm reading the transition rules. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> down boy, down, <laughs> fetch, fetch. Exactly. Um, the, the, so sorry. So, uh, but yeah, I'm not Niels Hoaglander here where I've come into camp and just crushed it and like been ready. Um, I'm very much like working my way into it. Uh, so let's take Jack Rathbone because he's the most interesting case. Jack Rathbone has pretty generous schedule A bonuses in his contract because he's, you know, he had options, right? Like you have to give really good prospects, bigger schedule A's and guys like Elias Pettersson, like really prized prospects get big schedule B's. Um, these are the bonuses that pay out based on performance, right? Now, they don't actually count against a team's books from until until that bonus is like figured out, right? Like the Canucks have a $1.7 million bonus overage since cap hit for last season was like $1.8 million, right? Not the eight hundred or nine hundred and twenty-five k that you see when you visit the Canucks' cap-friendly page. That's because of how bonuses are accounted for. They're accounted for after the season once you hit them. Now, this year, with the taxi squad, we've got a new wrinkle, which is for a player like Jack Rathbone, who has these sort of Schedule B bonuses, you know, his cap hit in the event that he is recalled from the taxi squad is 1.491667, i.e. it's pretty big. Like, it's double the size of Brogan Rafferty's or uh, a Jalen Chatfield if they were to get called up from the taxi squad. However, if Rathbone opens the season on the 23-man roster, then his cap hit will be at 925K. Um, That's a 500K difference. Like, that's massive, right? 
Um, so uh-huh. if you're going okay. to keep Rathbone, you need to have hmm. him on the 23 man. You can't change that until after the first game. Like there's all sorts of weird mechanics that the Canucks are going to have to work through here. Uh, and that will probably determine the shape of their opening night lineup a, a little bit. And, and among the things that the Canucks, I think, will be looking at is to make sure they maximize in-season LTI. Like, I have this theory that in all likelihood, we will see Travis Hamannick signed after the Canucks play their first game. Now, now there's things that could change. There could be injuries. There could be a, a decision that they actually can't go into Edmonton and play a game without Hamannick. Like, there's things that can change here, but if I'm thinking about this in terms of how do the Canucks maximize their flexibility here for a chaotic, condensed season played amidst the backdrop of a pandemic, right, where they're going to be hugely limited in how they can replace players by various quarantine protocols, both, um, you know, federal and the NHL's own health protocols, um, I think that they are going to be best served to maximize their flexibility, to maximize their capture by placing Furland on in-season LTI when the opening night lineup is set and having Hamannick sign after the first game. Um, that's just how it looks to me at this point. I don't know that they're thinking about it uh, exactly along these lines, or I'm sure they are. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they are thinking about it along these lines, but I'm not sure what other factors exactly they're weighing. Uh, and the other thing I'd just note here is to get under the cap with a 23-man roster, right? To get under the cap with a 23-man roster and be as close to 81.5 for that, you know, when, for when you start. Like, I do think that suggests uh, very strongly that the guys who are on big one-way deals, uh, your Berchies and your Ericsons, like, I, I see no way that the Canucks will open camp with both of those guys, at least on the 23-man. Now, they might be taxi squad guys, but that's another big takeaway here. Like, I think those guys are in real tough, um, right. regardless of their performance. And in Sven's case, I mean, I think his he's worked really hard. In Louis's case, I don't think he's had a good camp. Um, but I think, the, I think the writing's essentially on the wall, at least for how they position those players to begin camp. And those are sort of my, my reading the leaves, reading the, like, cap leaves takeaways are that this is going to be complicated. It's going to shape what we see on opening night. Um, But we can't read too much into what the Canucks opening night 23-man roster looks like because there might be some decisions like Jack Rathbone being on the team and X other guy not being on the team that might be designed to maximize their long-term flex as opposed to, um, you know, how they actually sort of rate their players internally. All right, that was a terrific masterclass. It was, but no, that's what people come to Sorry. the podcast and the the athletic. That's what they pay for. That was no, that was fascinating stuff. Yeah. and, and it, it, look, this year of all years, where every little move is with this taxi squad. Like there are going to be so many moves in season that are just going to be fascinating to watch, but absolutely worth watching as well. So uh, no, I think that was uh, that's a terrific primer for people. And look, it's Thursday as we record this. Like these decisions, they got to get down. They have to declare a roster. Tuesday afternoon, I think, right? Like a day before uh, the first game of the season. So it's coming quickly. Like these decisions have to be made. And these are things that are going to impact the Vancouver Canucks short-term and long-term as well. Uh, Guys that are on the roster and don't have to worry about uh, their spots, the Lotto line, Quinn Hughes, and Nate Schmidt. 
and it's been fun to watch Schmidt. You got a chance to watch him closely in the bubble. You wrote then about uh, you know his whooping and the noises that he makes, and we've already seen that uh, a couple of times uh, out here. That first scrimmage, the backhand pass to to Brock Besser to spring him on a breakaway was uh, incredible. He had a couple of assists that day, and he made it look easy. And you wrote about this at the Athletic. And I think this is another fascinating point that has to be driven home as people start to consider what's possible with this hockey club this season. And I know that, you know, that's sort of the overarching view is that, look, a lot of guys walked out the door. Uh, the Canucks aren't spending a lot of money. There seems to be a consensus in hockey circles. They've taken a step back. But you sort of posited that if they are going to be able to continue to move forward, it's going to be on the back of the best players. That part's not uh, a, a new thought necessarily. But the addition of Nate Schmidt and what he could mean to the success of the lotto line, and again, we've seen glimpses of it in these scrimmages, you know, Quinn Hughes is going to give you 25 dynamic minutes almost every night. Some nights it might be more than that. But if Quinn Hughes is playing 25 minutes, there's 35 minutes in a hockey game that he's not on the ice. Well, now all of a sudden you introduce Nate Schmidt and this idea of one of Hughes or Schmidt, or in the case that the Canucks are trailing, maybe it's the two of them getting a chance to play with the lotto line. It just gives you this sense of now all of a sudden you've got Pedersen, Miller, and Besser, your three most dynamic offensive players, and they get this turbo boost from one of or both Hughes and Schmidt. Like that's going to be a handful for opponents. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you look at what the lotto line did with Hughes on the ice, right? I mean, the Canucks, first of all, were only about league average in terms of how often their top scoring centerman played with their with his most frequent defense partner. Like, it was about 38% of the time. In contrast, uh, a team like the Colorado Avalanche, like, line-matched a, a, one of their own forward lines and one of their own defense pairs and, and got McCarr and McKinnon out like almost as a five-man unit as much as possible. Uh, I think the Canucks should do more of that, by the way. And and they'll be able to in a world where they're playing Pedersen straight up, right? Like one of the reasons they couldn't do it last year was that they were managing um, right. Pedersen's matchups right. so specifically. And Hughes and Tanev were often playing toughs, right? So you can't necessarily roll a five-man unit when you're playing that way. If you're playing straight up, you can. So first of all, first off, the Canucks need to maximize... Hughes, Pedersen, at the same time, five-on-five ice time this season in a different way than they did in Hughes' first year, and I think they will. Like, I think I would expect we see that. Last season, Pedersen spent 38% of his five-on-five ice time with uh, Hughes on the ice. I wouldn't be stunned if that number gets up to 45-50% and into the top, you know, five teams in the league because the incentive to do so is so apparent. Um, nonetheless, even if you get up to 45%, there's still 55% and having Edler and Schmidt, a Canucks second pair that I think has to be the best second pair this team has had in 10 years, right? Probably since Ham Hughes Piexa, um, having that could be a huge, huge extra bit of nitrous in that engine. Um, I, I think it could be a real significant impact, especially when you consider that, you know, without Hughes on the ice, like the lotto line generated three fewer scoring chances per 60. They, uh, you know, controlled 6% fewer scoring chances all told. If if Schmidt can raise that floor, like if Schmidt can raise that floor so that it's more like Hughes minutes, 
Hughes-type minutes, and I think it can be, especially with the instant chemistry that he seems to have found attacking with that trio, um, that's going to be something that could really give the Canucks a weapon. Like, if you're talking about coming at teams with 600, 655 on five minutes uh, with the lotto line and one of Hughes or Schmidt the next season, that's a handful. Like, that's a real weapon uh, for the Canucks. And, and for me, it's their quickest path or their clearest path to, you know, being a top team in the in the Canadian division. And and honestly, I think it's very possible. Like, I, I was talking to um, Harmon about it, who talked to Dom. So this is uh, this is sort of a roundabout thing. But if you plug in Hoaglander for Jay Beagle in his model, his projection model, that's worth 1.4 wins. Like, that is the difference really? in, in wow. his model between the Canucks huh. being fifth or sixth in the division and them being second or third, right? Like it's a huge swing. If the Canucks come out of camp with a new top six forward, right? Like that makes a huge difference. Then you add Hamannick, right? And the options that we've discussed at length and, and the Canucks are really high on Hamannick. Like I, I was proposing to one of them that I thought I like one of them. I was proposing to a Canucks contact that I thought, um, you know, Hamannick was, uh, 90% of Chris Tanev, which is along the same lines that we've discussed on this podcast, right? And I sure. think their hopes yeah. are higher for Hamannick than that, um, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure about that. Like, I'm not I'm not sure I'm buying on, the, on that necessarily, but I like... like 110%, 110% of Chris Tanev? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea, though, that, like, the, the thing about Hamannick is he just so significantly reduces this team's risk profile in the event of blue line injury. Um, those two factors, I do think, have fundamentally altered some of the this team has taken a step back analysis that I've been leaning on. Like you bring in, you bring in another guy who I look at as a fringe top four guy, but a perfect fit on the back end. And you add a top six forward that pushes, you know, Jake and Louie for sure out of the top six. Uh, and I, and I think you might have a chance of actually, you know, maintaining to some extent, some of the gains the club made last season. Now it's still going to be tough because I think their step back in goal remains pretty steep, but it's a big step. Like it's a big, it's, it's a big change in terms of how I'm regarding the Canucks chances in the all Canadian division. And this, by the way, JPAD is also why I never make my project, my predictions until the eve of the season itself. Well, that's a nice sort of dovetail into, uh, there really is one more pod before they drop the puck and start playing for keeps. And we made a pledge to the VIPs about the yes. goal scoring predictions, right? So uh, you can do some math there and know uh, what you can expect in the next podcast uh, uh, early next week, I would imagine. Just quickly as we finish up here, and again, like how good is this? We've been waiting forever to have hockey back and just to be able to dig in the way we have. Hopefully the, the VIPs uh, are into this as well. But your notion of Hughes and Schmidt and the lotto line like, I know the Canucks don't want to be trailing, but it's going to happen. Uh, and just the idea of like a th going to a third period down a goal and having that card to play. Oh, I know. Where they could load up. Like, <laughs> yeah. It'd be five oh, men up. Like, let's it, it's go. just, I, I don't know. Like, I can't wait to see that. Like, we can talk about it, but I can't wait to see that. No, I know. I, and, and tell your friends. Like, tell your, tell your friends who <laughs> live in the East live in the East, but are, um, you know, league pass junkies, like 
like tell them, tell them anytime the Canucks are trailing, like set an alert on your app. If the Canucks are trailing in the third period, um, they're going to be must watch television for hockey fans this season. Like it's going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, the the Canucks down one or two going into the third period might be one of the most exciting things to watch in hockey this year. I I, I believe that um, because you're not just no. So do I because to, yeah. No well, go. I just it's a far cry from oh, it's just a far cry from again. I hate to bring up Willie D's name, but you know in the Willie D days, yes. like honestly, the objective was it was to protect the one goal deficit, right? Like it was trying to boil it down to one shot at the end that somehow might go in to tie a hockey game. Like the whole third period, the objective obviously is going to be to get back on even terms, if not get in front. Like, I just think philosophically, it's going to look and feel so much different because of the personnel. And Willie's hands were tied. He didn't have the same sort of personnel. But man, serve that up. Like, I can't wait. And again, I know the Canucks don't want to be trailing a bunch in third periods. But on those nights when they are, uh, that is going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be must-watch television, especially because you're going to see weird things too, right? Like, you're going to see... Vertanen start to play more you're gonna see like you're gonna see the Canucks attack differently um you know and and probably roll three lines like roll three lines and the um you know third line is something like Godet, Vertanen and Mott you know which sounds fun like that sounds fast and fun right like Godet playing with skilled players I'm actually here for that because it sounds like an awful lot of fun to watch um but if your third line's Mott, Godet, Vertanen just like attacking teams vertically you've got Hughes and Schmidt playing 10 minutes 12 minutes in the period uh and then you've got like an Edler Myers pair uh just sort of generating that secondary offense like yes like yes let's go this is a team with some options that should be really entertaining and and then you throw on you know the fact that Pedersen's always worth the price of admission uh, not admission this year but the price of tuning in anyway um (laughs) and that power play Right. And and I'm really like, here's here's a here's one thing that I had a lot of fun talking about last night at scrimmage. And, and we can end with this. Um, JT Miller, to tie the game, had a one time shot from the right circle that was like unbelievably imposing. Right. Like it was just an absolute lancer. Um you know, moving at a million oh, miles water per bottle. hour. It was the, yeah, it was the water bottle smasher against Buffalo in overtime. Right, all, all over again. But but from an even more difficult angle, and he only narrowly missed the yeah. <laughs> the water bottle. <laughs> um, how incredibly cool is that as a weapon? And we never see it. Like, we never see it because that's the PD spot. Like, that's the Petter zone or, or Area 51, whatever you prefer. Um <laughs> In a world where the Canucks are probably going to put Brock Besser back on the left circle, right? Like, they're probably going to have Besser and Petey be the guys up high uh, and move JT Miller, like, back to the net front, I'd assume, with with Bo Horvat sort of staying in that bumper spot that he feasted on during the playoffs and, and Quinn Hughes obviously running things from up top. Um I feel like it's incumbent on Pedersen, who is sneaky good at the net front for for a guy who's questioned about his weight sometimes, right? And Miller to work out ways to swap. Like they need to rotate constantly. They almost need to play the power play like the twins between the two of them and just sort of move about the ice, rotate around because they need to find a way to let JT Miller get that shot off more often, especially with the way teams and penalty killers cheat off of um, off of Petey. 
when he's in that spot. Like Vegas basically just planted two guys there and, and played two on four elsewhere on the ice. Um, I, I do think figuring out a way to get that weapon off more uh, is going to be worthwhile for the Canucks because, man, when you see it, like when you see JT Miller rip one-timers, like that is a weapon, man. He is lethal. And I do think the Canucks need to figure out how to get it off. Well, options are always good in anything in life, and that includes podcasts, too, as long as you don't stray too far from the Vancast. But John Carlson of the Washington Capitals is Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun's guest this week on Two Man Advantage at The Athletic, so you may want to check that out. And we always end by saying check out our comments section for each podcast episode of The Athletic Cap and drop us a note if so inclined rate and subscribe the vancast on apple and if you're not already a subscriber go to theathletic.com slash vancast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month hockey is back it is well worth your money hockey's back man like Let's this time next week we're breaking down we're breaking down games i know a week from well, now. yesterday i was drinking beer and watching a hockey game at night i love it I haven't done that in yes. years, and uh, and it was great. Uh, kudos to I, I want to give kudos to Canucks PR who have managed to, uh, you know, with scant resources and and a ton of different logistical challenges, uh, facilitate us watching the games, drinking some beers, um, and having like a, a pretty strong level of access. Considering, um, you know, that hasn't been uniform across markets, and I do think it's worth keeping in mind and. You know, we give the Canucks a lot of shit when they don't do things right, right? Like, that's kind of what we do. I just want to note that their priorities is, yes. were, were dead on here, and they've executed as, as well as possible in trying circumstances. Just want to shout that out. Um, and then we'll go back to asking, you know, with a wet blanket questions every avail. Because that's what we do, J-Pat. Hockey's back! Yeah, and they've got us set up in the Encore Lounge. They're treating us too well. I didn't even I realize that that place existed, but the makeshift <laughs> press box, they have, if that's our their... home for the year at Rogers... Yeah, oh, yeah, it's all right. Putting, like, putting our gotta... feet up by the fire. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we covered a ton of ground. Like Again, this is what we've waited for. Uh, good work today. I think uh, hopefully the VIPs uh, enjoyed that. and uh, We're all looking forward to the season ahead, and it's just around the corner now. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for joining us here for another edition of the VanCast on The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.